Hey, it's Akko. And I'm Marcy. And welcome to the Color Pages Book Club, a bi-weekly podcast that focuses on fiction, fantasy, and magical realism written by writers from colorful backgrounds. Yes, colorful indeed. And today, we are going to read my pick. My very long pick. <laughs> long, long, long pick. Incredibly long. Um, <gasps> called Grace of Kings by Ken Liu. So Ken Liu is an Asian American author of speculative fiction. Of course, because we, you know we love our speculative you know, fiction. We, you know we love some speculative fiction, you know, like. Yeah, so. But <laughs> <laughs> People are like, oh my God. Do you, do you love it? The chaos. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, so he's the winner. You know who's not chaotic? Ken Liu. Because he oh, is the yes. winner of a Nebula Hugo World Fantasy Award. And those are three different awards, people. Um, wow. But he won all of them. And he's like, I'm actually just going to take all of these. Like, I'm actually just going to snatch all of these awards. He literally, like, oh, thank you so much. Like, thank you so much. He literally <laughs> like, was like, oh, let me just. And then he like, they were all on the table. And he just like gathered them around and like pulled them close to him. <laughs> Everyone's like, do you want to share it? He's like, no, nah, I'm good. So anyway. It's like, uh, <laughs> I'm good. I'm fine. You, you, He's like, I'll I'm, be easy. Right, um, right. You know, keep writing. <laughs> He's like, did you guys write a 600 page book? Three of them? No? Okay. Anyway, but um, mm. so the 600 page book we're talking about is actually called the Dandelion Dynasty Trilogy. And mm. the first book is Grace of Kings, which is what we're reading. And it actually is a silk punk epic fantasy series. And I know what you're thinking, Marcy. I have never heard of silk punk before. And you want yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> look at you. <laughs> well, you want to know why you've never heard of it? Because Ken Liu made it up. That's right. He invented the genre. Um, that is wild. Right. I know, right? It's dope. And so he basically describes it as a blend of sci-fi and fantasy that takes from Asian antiquity, mm. which is kind of dope. It's, I, I kind of chose it because it's a decentering of Eurocentricism while still being a fantasy novel. And there's just so much mm. history and lore and fantasy in the in, in Asia, the Asiatic continent, which mm-hmm. yeah, is quite a large of spans of a continent, right? It's huge. Right. With a lot of different cultures and empires inside of it. So I, w- I was like, hey, I wonder how this is going to play out. And yeah. And also, here's a fun little fact. You're like, mm-hmm. Aka, you're full of fun facts that I am. <laughs> <laughs> Just little trinkets. <laughs> <laughs> um, prior to becoming a full-time writer, Lou worked as a software engineer, a corporate lawyer, and a litigation consultant. So Wow. I know, right? I was like, all right, well, kids, you know. Choose one career, choose another one. You're good. That's how, okay. How, what what mm-hmm. age was he when he made that pivot to become a writer? Uh, truly, I don't know. <laughs> that is why, because I'm like, wait. So you were a software engineer and you're a lawyer and you're like that's what I'm saying. How? When did you? Mm-hmm. That is so. So bet don't let that, anyone stop is, you from achieving your dreams. That's actually high key inspiring as fuck. Because mm-hmm. like. I mean, like we talk about this, like like almost like ad nauseum, but like I, like I'm very much in a space of my career where I'm like, want to do something else, um, and it just feels like so difficult to pivot. So just hearing that, I'm like, oh, so you can actually just do any? Okay, cool. Truly, Great. options are open. That's good to know. Thank you, Ken Lu. We appreciate it. Despite your long, long, <laughs> long book that we were about to discuss. This isn't fair. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, speaking of long things that we are going to discuss. I <laughs> have a question. <laughs> yeah, so what is your question? Ooh, some transitions are better than others. So in this... You know, <laughs> we all have our days. Right. So, so um, in this story, power changes hands quite a few times, um, as we'll mm-hmm. discuss. And people who you would think would be responsible 
end up not being responsible and people who you think mm-hmm. would wouldn't be end up being quite impressively responsible with power which made me think they say that power corrupts mm-hmm. do you think that's true and why or if you would rather i know this is a choose your own adventure question yay <laughs> if you think it's possible to hold power and not become corrupt how does one do that <laughs> mm. I like this because I feel like we, I feel like, I don't know what episode it was, but I think we had a similar prompt where we talked about like if power has to corrupt. Mm. So I think I will opt for the second one because I think that's a really interesting exploration. Like, okay, like, because I I don't think power has to corrupt, but like, what does that look like? Right. I guess the idea would just have to be like, we we would just need to kind of shift the paradigm of how power operates. I think Mm. right now sort of the way it's, it's structured is that like, oh, like there are people like with power and then there are those with like without power or like you know people have varying degrees of power but the idea is that like power is seen as almost like a static state like it's like oh like you have power and you like continue to have power sort of thing but i think that like it needs to be a lot more flexible than that i think the idea around power just needs to be around more so around like redistribution and like like handing it off to others kind of like you remember like growing up you used to play like i don't know like um like catch or like we used to play a game called tips i don't know if this is like something that we just did in the south or like a, like an atlanta thing but it was basically you like you would throw a ball back and forth it was like anyway the idea was that you had to like if you had the ball you wanted to get rid of it as quickly as possible and mm. i think that's kind of like a way that we should think about power not something that should just be immediately handed off to someone else necessarily but like the goal is to like have it like flow like it should flow between people mm. and like it should be like rotational and so like i think the best way of like for example if you're in a situation where Let's assume I don't know you're like in a like a like a like a like a like a, like a corporate <laughs> <laughs> infrastructure, <laughs> or say I don't know you were like I don't know a CEO, or just like a kind of like power wielding individual in that kind of structure. I think the one of the most responsible ways of holding it is like using it to uplift the voices of people who don't necessarily have that same access, mm. like giving affording opportunities, investing in people, really showing up for people, and just like having making sure that like you're using your power to like give other people a spotlight as much as possible um and like really highlighting what people do in a way that like really is just like just yeah it just kind of puts them center stage um mm. like something like for example like this is really small but like at the organization that i work at now something that I, like we do that i kind of like a lot is that like you know we have these like monday meetings or whatever where it's like okay staff let's get on zoom and look at each other and you know talk and all that shit it's so Something that I like is that the, you know, the leader of the organization, something that she does is that, like, she rotates who facilitates the meeting just, like, every week, just, like, at random. Like, it's like, oh, like, so-and-so will facilitate it this week. So-and-so will do this, you know, the week after. And, like, it's kind of like this rotational facilitation role. Like, it's something that we all participate in. And so I think things like that are great models of, like, oh, like, you could ostensibly just be like oh well like i'm the leader so i'm gonna lead the meeting and blah blah blah. but you're like no girl like y'all can also do it like it's right. like, like y'all got it you know so like and i think that like the like practices like that are i think are kind of ways of making it less corrupt not saying that like you know power because again people have different relationships relationships with power so say for example if i held power and i did something like that you know maybe for someone they'll be like oh i got power oh girl let me hoard this hoard <laughs> and, like you power. know like it, could, like it could get messy but i think that like as a framework the idea shouldn't be that like one has power and holds on to it it's like oh one has power and like augments it and gives it to other people mm. um that's kind of how i how i see it what about you I really agree with the idea of the flow of power. I think 
people see i think it's it's like a reconceptualization exactly like you're saying like mm-hmm. instead of seeing power as something you hoard it's something that flows between people like a conversation you know mm. if you and i are talking i don't just talk the whole time and then you just sit there that's a lecture which is a different right. dynamic but i think power should flow between people and the status who has the power at that moment isn't like you're saying stagnant it changes depending mm. on the situation but i do think when you have that power in your hand, I don't think you should ever divorce power from responsibility because mm. what you're doing is ex- you're divorcing the externality of responsibility. Like you need, you're giving that to somebody else and that mm-hmm. means you're subsidizing like power. Does that make sense? Like you, you get right. to have the power <laughs> without the, the cost of it. And so someone right. else has to take up the cost of it. So, I think you just shouldn't divide those two things because I think mm. you create at that point, you've created something else. I don't even know if it's power. I think it's just self-indulgence or, yeah, you know, some, something very harmful. So I think that's one thing. And I think we do that a lot, right? I think in our current structuring of hierarchies of things, the idea is that I get to tell you what to do because I have more status than you. And you're like, mm. but shouldn't you have also the requisite responsibility that goes with that? And they're like, no, someone else is going to take that on. No. Like, probably some oppressive <laughs> force, like the hierarchical structure or violence. Right. And you're like, no. So you're just going to use that <sighs> as a replacement for responsibility and respect. And they're like, yes. Mm. So I think that's, yeah. Yeah, that's one thing. I think we shouldn't even conceptualize power without responsibility. As Spider-Man yeah. once told us, with great power comes great responsibility. So. Oh, come on. <laughs> just always new. Just it's like <laughs> foreshadowing to this conversation. Um, right there. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I agree. It's just. And then I also <sighs> think that, I think we think of the idea of someone being submissive or under someone else as a weakness just by mm-hmm. default. In actuality, there's a lot of strength in that position as well. You know, we think of mm. no one ever glorifies the follower, but the leader. But you're like, the follower has right. power. It's a different type of power. And because we've hierarchied that leadership is the only type of power with valuing, we forget the power mm. of someone who's following or someone who's under. Like, mm. And they are then taught that they don't have a voice. You're like, yeah, but you're always allowed to, you know, disagree or dissent. Like you must right. be able to, because you are a human being with your own autonomous life. And sometimes I'm like, what if we used power as a way to highlight, like you're saying other people's ideas and plans and then give them the autonomy to execute those things for the whole, Right. you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I think honestly at the base of it, I think the key to like, not being corrupt is just like trust like i think just Ooh. having a sense of trust in those yes. around you and people who are like i guess whatever structure that you're operating in just trusting those around you like i think is honestly probably the best way because even if for example like say you i don't know again i don't know why the, the default is like a corporate boring ass place but like you know say i don't know you trust someone to do a certain thing they make a mistake whatever whatever i think the idea isn't to be like oh well like i trusted you and you like fucked up so like i'm not gonna trust you anymore it's like no but like it's like okay like there are things to learn from that, but like mm-hmm. the trust still remains. Like I still trust you yes. in different respects. Like yes. I think it shouldn't be like a, Oh, like upon any mistake you will like lose this. It's kind of like, no, like this is like, I, we still operate with this. We can just, you know, we can correct for certain things, obviously, but like, it doesn't have to go away. Like I still trust you as a person, like, you know, like, right. why would I, 
Like why? Like why are we working in collaboration? Why are we working in teamwork? If I don't trust you, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Because then I might as well just do this by myself. And then people just end up doing that, like just like just doing shit by themselves. I'm like, so why? Like why am I here? Like you know? Like it's right. just like. So anyway, I think but, you're right because yeah. and and you, there is no relationship that isn't based on trust. Like yeah, there just isn't. And like I mean you know maybe there's like a planet that's like actually i use gravity to have relationships with people because like, i just keep them yeah, in my maybe. orbit you know, like, zone. Yeah. but like i'm talking about humans and like <laughs> our <laughs> sentience i feel like i feel like the listeners were like we weren't even gonna question that <laughs> you didn't even need to bring in the planet <laughs> metaphor anyway i'm just saying that like planets probably don't rely on trust okay anyway but um i think that in communication right like you have to be mm. able to communicate with others which is also a matter of trust you and and respect where you have to say to yourself i am obligated to explain myself to this person and i can't just assume and delegate power down to them and assume that they have to do it without any recourse Mm. it's interesting because i feel like a lot of what makes a lot of what we're talking about is kind of like a deconstruction of hierarchy altogether Mm -hmm. because it's like in a way it's like you know to communicate in a way that's trusting and to you know really like I, I guess let power flow between people. It it, it kind of does make a hierarchical hierarchical structure like seem kind of silly after a while. It's like, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, or like at the very least, like the the ways in which we can maintain a healthy exchange of power is to like in our interpersonal interactions not rely on this idea mm. of like a hierarchy being what motivates us. Like truly acting among other people, like you said, being accountable to others, like trusting other people, like really just seeing or like acknowledging them for who they are you know like and really just like believing in that right um, and having that be like reciprocal and like in those kind of interactions like for outside looking in you're probably like yeah like i mean y'all just kind of on the same y'all just kind of on the same level it's like fine and i'm like i think that's also fine like we don't have to, it doesn't have to always be like hierarchy speaks first and then the people come second like mm. you know we can just we can just be equals it's because we literally are equals because all of this is fake by the way spoiler alert it's all it's fake. all fake so right you know so and it's like i think what happens is a difference in position is given a different value you know it's kind of like the same way like people are varied and then we hierarchy whose phenotypes are Mm. of more value so we have different positions and then we hierarchy which one is of most significance and then we give that one more social clout when in actuality like Mm. that was unnecessary like positions can just be different (laughs) and they can have different realms of responsibility without them necessitating oppression but then the question is why does power corrupt Mm. yeah and again i think a lot of it just goes back to insecurity i don't know like a lack of like self like just feeling like the power like has to validate you in some way or like Mm. external validation of holding power i think there's just a lot of like external pieces around just like that like tend to kind of coincide with like a lack of self-worth or like a like a mm. gap there um like a stand-in yeah exactly so, so. then for power not to corrupt the answer is what you're saying is love possibly yeah but i feel like we <laughs> always do this like we're like insert philosophical question it's like so the key's actually uh, love and it's like yeah yeah and i think care you know so but but it's a long it's not just love like in a moment right it's a a society built on the investment and care of people right because what Mm -hmm. the thing is for power to corrupt it's really easy you just have to take one dissatisfied individual and then thus it's like contagious it's you know it's easily caught and i think it then just spirals out of control so quickly um Mm -hmm. so i think yeah for power not to corrupt we have to start at the very 
individual parts of our society, like the society that we consider the lowest and the least significant and the small acts, because that's where mm. you change what people will do on the aggregate or in higher positions or in the future. Yeah. They're like, that's true. And the listeners were like, that's cute and all, but talk about this summary. It's like, can y'all, can y'all start? And it's like, okay, <laughs> damn. <laughs> We're just trying to catch up. We're just trying to like have conversations. We're just trying to deconstruct power, you know, trying to make the world right. a little bit different. Exactly. And like an hour or less, but it's also never less than an hour because y'all know the show. Like, <laughs> y'all know we long winded. Anyway, like so. But yes, we will heed your call. And I guess, yeah, take a little bit of a break. And then when we get back, we can talk about part one of Grace of Kings. Woo! And our... So, 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 so. Here we go, kids. This story. Whew, okay. Okay. Get ready. Yes, Get your cup of tea. We're here. So this... St- <laughs> Mind y'all, this, this shit was 600 pages. So uh, we literally read like, what, 300? 300 um, pages. So we're going to try to be concise, girl. We gonna, it's true. Akko literally was in the middle of reading like, now how did you choose this book? And I said, I don't know, <laughs> Okay, I don't know. So uh, the oh story God. takes place in a fantasy world of Dara. Which yes. was made up of seven kingdoms. And historically, those seven kingdoms were separate, but somewhat equal. However, mm-hmm. prior to the book beginning, the kingdom of Shana unified mm-hmm. or conquered the seven kingdoms under the Shana Empire. And that's where we are now. So, yes. The story starts off with two teenage boys, Kuni and Rin, and they're skipping school to watch the imperial procession that, you know, now that the Shana Empire is in charge, they have processions around all the seven kingdoms, and it's Mm -hmm. led by the Emperor Mapadiri. So while they are in the middle of the parade, a man flies across the sky using a flying silk bamboo kite. It's like self-made too. It's, it doesn't have a string or anything. He's just flying a, yeah, like just a bamboo flying silk kite. Yes. It's very cool. Yes. And he attempts to assassinate the empire with gas bombs and he drops down and he's yelling about his home country of Ha'an and he's like, you know, death to the empire. He destroyed my country. So mm. the emperor's life is saved by the, his general. And Kuni manages to save his friend Rin by covering him with his body. And the kite assassin manages to escape. When while the Emperor's like, find him, seize him, you know, have him brought to me. <laughs> <laughs> Bring back his head. Right. They're right. like, we actually can't he actually flew away because he's on a <laughs> on a kite. On a kite so uh, we actually can't. And it was do dope because they had these like flying like air force ships that also had like silk rows on them like robo i don't know look it's a book i don't I, there was no pictures but anyway they were very yeah, like, I don't know. <laughs> they were very slow and they couldn't catch up to him so everyone was like oh my god you know this that, that guy just flew away and they're like capture him and they're like i mean the boats are like 15 miles ahead of us we really can't turn them around like <laughs> we literally can't girl it's gonna be too difficult anyway so fast so to take that L. <laughs> um Fast forward seven years, Cooney has dropped out of school completely, and he's sort of like a gangster in town, but like not really, because mm-hmm. he's kind of just like hanging around, like scamming, drinking, eating, and hanging out with his friends. And his yeah. parents are like, we're disappointed in you. And they throw him out. And everyone around him is like, yo, come on. And he's like, what? I'm having a good time. But he does use his scamming for some good. So he saves a boy who's being conscripted into the army by pretending to be from a prominent family. 
Mm-hmm. Little does he know that Gia, the daughter of the family he's impersonating, sees the whole thing play out. And mm-hmm. then he like his friend gets him into this party and Gia's there and she sees him. He's like trying to scam into the party again. And Gia's like, Yo, I kind of feel this boy. And Kuni's like, I'm trying mm-hmm. to I kind of feel you too. And so they hit it off and they get married. Mm-hmm. And I was like, All right, this is moving quickly, but you know what? We got three hundred pages, so let's keep it, you know, yeah. It was dead pace. ass that quick. They went to a party, <laughs> yep. they had a conversation. Yep. and they got married and, and i was like got married oh bet cool so i was like this is like the fast food line of relationships anyway so <laughs> <laughs> here's your papa let's keep moving okay so anyway so <laughs> so Cooney t- like, like they got chicken sandwiches it's like wait what <laughs> she's like i got the spicy and they're like all right fine like jesus I mean, it's, like, <laughs> it's like i actually wanted the original but like i guess we could have the spicy <laughs> Oh my this god! This is completely anachronistic. There were no uh, Popeyes during this time. But anyway, um, there was not. So Cooney is like, "Yo, I gotta support my family." So he gets this like boring government job, and then later gets this job escorting prisoners to the Imperial City. But he doesn't tie them up at night because he's like, "Yo, I mean, we're just trying to live." And of course, yeah. because of that, half the prisoners escape to join the rebellion, which we'll tell you about later. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cooney realizes that he's like, all right, if I don't bring these prisoners in, they're going to kill me. And in fact, I'm already late to drop them off. So I, my head's about to be on a platter. You know, that guy on the kai who head wasn't on a platter. That's going to be me. So right. Cause the empire y'all is <laughs> horrendous. Mm. Oh, yeah. Like, they're bad. They will kill you for a- anything. literally anything. Yeah. Literally anything. anything. He works for them. And they were like, Oh girl, you were late gotta die yeah what like literally that's the energy like shauna is actually garbage and then you're so. like there's not even like a consistent train schedule and then you'd be like if you're late you die and you're like what about the weather like sometimes it snows right. also it's like your fucking infrastructure is making me late girl like fix your fucking empire like what also we're not gonna Talking get into to the about gods i'm late here, what like, girl bye like all the, also all the gods in the story are like natural events like volcanoes and snowstorms and stuff and i'm like sometimes the gods mm. just get mad like and anyway so right i have literally no power over this but so he's like and Cooney is also like, I have no power over this. So he's like, I guess I'm going to abandon my post and become a- abandoned. And they're like, why don't we? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, what if you join the rebellion? He's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. So he yes. um, becomes abandoned. And, you know, honestly, he's not a terrible bandit, despite having absolutely no, you know, back training in this, no internships, no, no classes. Right, literally nothing. Uh, no mentorship. Yeah, just kind of jumped mm-hmm. in. But he's doing pretty good. He does. He saves one of his men from being bitten by a snake, which is maybe a prophecy from the gods. Maybe not. Honestly, even the gods aren't sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then he... Um, he also, but he has this moment where he he becomes really serious because he he and his bandits, you know, attack a group of generals or something, and his men a lot of them end up getting killed. And from that moment on, he takes things more seriously, and mm-hmm. more and more people are joining their cause. I mean, the bandits because they're like, honestly, there's a rebellion over there, and if we go to the imperial city, honestly, we'll probably lose some type of body part and or I and or our family. So right, so so yeah, so meanwhile his bandit group is becoming more and more powerful so he sends one of them off one of his bandit buddies to go get his wife Gia because the imperial government I mean they haven't come and gotten her yet but they will eventually so right when he gets back to say we find out Gia's super pregnant like not even a little pregnant she's pregnant but has no character development yes. because we'll, we'll talk about it we will so the bandit who goes to get Gia also kind of gets lost and then Gia has to lead them back because of the, a rainbow or something but what's really important is that guy kind of falls in love with her <laughs> <laughs> it's a 
subplot. But the only reason I, I honestly was going to cut it, but I was like, I feel like this bandit being in love with this girl is going to come up later. So I was like, let me just mention it. For Who the it is. Mm. It is. Yeah. I Yeah. So there you go. Marcy has the site. He knows. So I, anyway, cool. so I basically he they're like, let's go back to ZD and take over it and liberate it. And you're like, okay, I mean, I was going to take a nap, but yeah, we could do that too. So right. that's what they're up to. <laughs> yes. And Zudi is um, where Cooney is from. Yes. Like Cooney, G, all that. That's where they like lived. And yep, then yep, like, yep. they left, but they're like, oh, we're going to be bandits. And I was like, girl, what? <laughs> um, so yeah. So Akko has been mentioning this rebellion. So I will briefly talk about how that like kind of started. So again, for context, Shana just like sucks. Like it's like literally the worst place in the world mm. to live. Like literally everyone's like so violent and awful. Um, So, so the capital city is called Pon. Yes. And I guess there was a group of prisoners um, who were like on their way to pawn to like I guess be used for some some form of labor and basically two of the prisoners were like put in charge of getting the group to the city and their names are Huno Krima and Zapshigan and so they're like supposed to lead to the you know they're supposed to go to the capital city boop 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 and again they're like I don't know what's up with Shauna but they were like if you motherfuckers are even a second <laughs> late off with your fingers yep. off with your necks off with your heads we're killing five generations of your family bitch like literally four generations from now all of them could get it it's like oh my god so stakes are high mm, um, just a needless to say it's like it's like raining and shit it's already it's already a long ass trip like Shauna gave them like no time to make this trip and so like you know. It's, like, raining and shit. Like, the weather's, like, all over the place. They have to take a boat at one point, mm. and then they miss it. It's a mess. So, basically, they're, like, so we're going to die. Um, So, we might as well just, like, you know, enjoy ourselves with these prisoners and, well, with these other prisoners and just kind of hang out. Make a life. Like, eat some good food, chill out, hang out, drink, you know, mm. whatever, whatever. And at one point, they're, like, making fish, and they, they cut aside this fish that they're going to make for dinner, like, for literally all the prisoners. And there's, like, a scroll inside of the fish that says that Huno Crema will be king. And something just like switches, and they're mm-hmm. like, "Oh shit, I'm a Huno Crema. Oh, I be king. <laughs> That's me. Oh my god, we must rebel!" And so they like <laughs> rebel. Like they literally take over the guards, they take over the city that they're yep. in. Like they just like start fucking shit up. And the rebellion's here. She's here to stay. Facts. So that's literally how the rebellion started. It's led by these two people. <laughs> and so pivoting a little bit, we're going to talk about a little bit more about the empire, just mm-hmm. so, to kind of give you guys a bit more context. So. So the emperor at the at the beginning, his name is uh, Mabadiri, and you know he's in the imperial city of Pond, and basically he is dying yeah. because you know he was trying to like use alchemy and shit to like preserve him and like keep him mm. alive forever. But then the book was like, oh girl, the gag was like he actually did not age gracefully <laughs> at all. Like Mama was like fifty, but like was really looking like she was pushing a century. Like it just was a mess. And so they're like, yeah, so he's dying, and like we need a. Uh, we need uh, to do something. So there's like this pantheon of gods yep. that just sort of like exists haplessly throughout the story. Uh, there's like seven of them. Or really technically eight, um, but two belong to the same like kingdom. Mm. Anyway, so he goes to them and he's like, hey, so like, you know, there's like this rebellion and shit. And we're trying to like make things better. Like, what can we do? And the gods are like, eh. sweetie, um, y'all about to go to war. <laughs> like, you, you, you thought Shauna could just take over and like have no competition. Girl, y'all are going to That's war, funny. bitch. Like, buckle up. And like, he's like, wait, is there like anything I can do? And they're like, um... I mean, prepare, girl, because it's <laughs> happening. Um, he's like, well, fuck. So the emperor's like, fuck, oh my god, we're about to go to war, but also, girl, like, I'm dying, like, oh shit. And so, like, he has, like, the the person that would normally be prince, like, his, I guess, like, his son. Um, he's like, yeah, girl, I don't really want him to be prince, because, like, he's, like, not really, like, like that good, so I guess Although he, he gives it to... he seems fine. I would, we met him for five seconds, but he seemed fine. Anyway. He seemed fine, but he was like, yeah, like, he, like that, that, like, my son absolutely could not be the, the new king, I guess, but, like, I guess, 
who is um Arishi and like is that his like youngest son? Yeah, like who is his he? Younger son by the okay the uh, mopping. Yes, okay. So so his okay. youngest son Arishi, who mind you is a literal child, a child, a child. Mm. Um, he was like, yeah. So that so once I die, he'll be the next king. Fuck my next son before that because girl, but we could never. So. So yes, so literally a child. Spoiler alert, I guess. I mean, this whole thing is a spoiler, whatever. Um, so yeah, so Mabadiri <laughs> dies. And so Arishi becomes king. Like so, but like is essentially sort of like a puppet figure because mm. basically in the in the king's court, I mean, there's like a hell of people in this book, but like the two people y'all need to know about are these two people named Goron Pira and Krupo. What's his, what's his last name? I think his first name was Lupo Krupo or something like that. Lupo Krupo. Lupo Krupo. Let's just call him that. So, so, so these are two people that yeah, are like. There's a lot of names, right? Like, yeah, like I, like, I don't know. So, like, so these are the two names that y'all need to know about because essentially those are the two people who were closest to the king. And so, Garan Pira, I find particularly interesting mm. because basically he's essentially what you would call. So again, the emperor, like the new emperor, is like like a child. And so, essentially, Garan Pira just kind of like hangs out with them. Like they like play games and like I don't know, like eat like apples and shit. I don't know. They just like hang out. <laughs> And Grand Pira, low key, wants to like get revenge on Shauna from the inside. Mm-hmm. He's basically trying to like tear it down from the inside because he also used to be one of the advisors to Mabadiri, the king who you know just died. And basically, there was like this whole this whole thing that happened where essentially like, and they were friends. They were. Yeah, like childhood friends. Yeah, like they were like childhood friends. Like, you know, he was always like, I guess, his like right hand person or whatever. And then one day in the castle, that I, I forgot how. What, was she like. From one of the places that, like, they conquered. Yeah. And, like, that's how she ended up there. Yeah, okay. So, like, there was a woman named Mang, I believe was her name. And she ended up in the castle because, basically, like, I guess Shauna, like, captured this, like, you know, this territory. She ends up in the castle, whatever, whatever. And Goron Pira, long story short, ends up falling in love with her. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the two of them have this, like, really intimate relationship. Like, you know, they really love each other. Mind you, before this, Goron Pira was like, I'm not really into, like, dating and shit like that because, you know, it can just kind of make things kind of messy. So one day, Mabadiri, who again is awful, mm-hmm. was like, you know, I want to sleep with somebody, Mang. Mm, and so Goron Pira was like, but I'm in love. I mean, he didn't say this, but he was like, ooh, I feel complicated about this. And so essentially, the emperor and Mang start, I mean, it's not really like a relationship, like she's right. kind of forced into it. Um, and so Grand Pira the whole time is like, oh my God, this is like awful. And I forgot how this happened. I forgot how all these pieces came together. But essentially... Well, she was pregnant. But when the baby yes. was born, they're like, this baby was born early. And they're like, that means you slept with someone before. Yes. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So essentially, yeah, Grand Pira and the emperor end up having this conversation. And they're like, yeah. he was like, yeah, like that timeline ain't, that shit ain't adding up. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at this child, girl, I don't... I'm feeling a little weird about it. And Grand Pierre was like, you know, I'll talk to her. I was like, see what's up. Well, I think the doctor was going to tell anyway. Like, because no one knows that Grand Pierre and, and her have had a relationship. So the doctor was like, this baby was born early. I'm going to tell the king. And then he's like, well, we don't know. Maybe it could be anything. And the doctor's like, I'm still going to go tell the king. He's like, he contemplated like paying him <laughs> off, but like didn't. He still <laughs> thinks about that. And then the king's right. like, mm, well, that's treason. And I'm a killer. Yes, that yeah, basically yeah, killed Mang and then also killed the child, which was Goran Pira's child. And so basically, since then he was like, "I will want you will rue the day. Mm-hmm. I will destroy this shit. I will burn Everything. this shit to the ground." And so I'm like, "Yeah, that's." I mean, he did kill your lover and child for like no, no reason. reason. So 
fair. I guess, you know, just destroyed from the inside. So that's Goran Pira. Meanwhile, there's a guy named Krupo who, long story short, he is essentially like a philosopher. I forget, like, where exactly he's from. But basically, like, he, like, grew up in this area where, like, he had like a peer that was like, you know, they were like both like really high achieving students, whatever, whatever. The other student though was like a lot smarter than him. And he always like kind of felt in- inferior in-, in comparison. However, I guess Krupa was more of the-, the type that wanted to use philosophy for like power. Whereas like this other friend was more into, I guess like the academia piece of it. And so essentially when like when Shauna took over, like Krupa was like, got recruited by the King, but always felt insecure. Cause he was like, I feel like the King Loki wanted to work with my friend, but like got me instead. Um, and then, like, a bunch of events later, essentially, he like, Krupa ends up killing his friend, um, like, yeah. by poisoning him. And he's like, now I'm the only one left. And, like, I'm the only one that, like, can be the philosopher and, like, the age of the king. And I will take the shit over. Um, and it was kind of sad because, like, the friend, went, like, got captured. And he was like, I know that you probably hate Sean, the Mapadiri Empire. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> hate Mapadiri, the emperor <laughs> of Sha'an. <laughs> Um, and he's a terrible person. I'm sure you're like trying to protect me, but he like he's the one who wants to kill me. And it's like, no, Krupa wants to kill you because actually, like the emperor wants you alive so he can like have you as part of his council, and he's afraid of that. And I was like, that right. is the most tragic. That is literally being. And so he poisons him in the prison. And the friend's like, you're a great friend, as he's being poisoned. Right. So. So, yeah. And so, essentially, what we need to know about Krupa is that Krupa basically starts... The rebellion, though it it started kind of, like, you know, super spontaneously and, like, just, Mm -hmm. like, you know, out of nowhere, like, they're starting to, like, really fuck shit up. Like, they're really starting to, like, liberate different places and all of that. And so, Krupa basically starts recruiting people for Shauna's, like, defense. And so, in particular, he recruits a guy named Kendo Morana, who's, like, an accountant. Yeah. Who basically becomes a general. And then he also recruits someone else named... Tannen Naaman, who used to be like a like a I guess like a soldier in the Shauna Empire like army or whatever, but like retired, but like comes back. And so basically that's like his little crew or whatever. He's like, okay, we gotta like start squashing this descent because this ain't this ain't looking cute. Yeah. Although to be honest, like Krupa like is not that concerned. He's like, ugh, this is so annoying ruling a country. He's like, I don't know, get the accountant to do it. And then he's like <laughs> calls the account the account's like i have no back i did not take an internship on this i also have this is not what my degree is in no experience and he was like i don't know figure it out he's like i guess i'll go get this general so mm. yeah yeah so back to the rebels so huno krima and zab shigin are leading the rebels and they're like starting to have a difference in opinion like zab shigin's like honestly we wrote that scroll and we put it in the fish like we just they did did it as a, like, like it wasn't a prophecy no it was a gag like we were just trying to have like we were gonna die remember <laughs> <laughs> like so zab's like i feel like who know you're kind of forgetting that very basic fact of the basis of this whole thing and then who knows like who knows mm. maybe the gods moved my arms to to write it and put it in the fish. And we're like, I think we're really curl by. <laughs> right. I think we're like kind of we're really making a stretch here. But um so who knows like anyway, I'm just gonna declare myself the king of West Kruko. And everyone's like, Where's West Kruko? And he's like, I made it mm-hmm. up. And I'm like, oh, yep. okay. Literally just made it up. Um but then everyone's kind of like honestly all these positions are made up. And to be fair, so the rebels have been 
liberating all these places and then putting the old houses back in charge. And Hudo Kriwa makes a good point. He's like, look, I'm, we're doing all the work here. I mean, although really it sounds like the rebels are just running around to different towns and stealing people's stuff, but that's work. Basically. That's a work of a kind, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so he's like, I want a little piece of an empire too. And then everyone's like, to the king of Kruko, they're like, this is an offensive thing. Like, you should stop him. And they're like, "Didn't wasn't he the one who put me in charge in the first place? If he wants a little piece of land, I think it's fine. So... Yeah. Um, but Uno Cream is kind of a jerk. So anyway, he has this whole coronation and he makes everyone like make statues of the gods. And one guy's like, we can't do it that quickly. So he murders him. And you're like, ay, 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 ay. Yes. Yeah, like, aren't you a get? That's some shit the emperor would do. Would do. Facts. Funny how you're suddenly doing it now that you have a little, mm. little power. Mm. But mm. Look at go that. off, Huno Kriba. Go off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, at this coronation, there's like a subplot. It's not a subplot, but it kind of is, where a Mat- mm. Mata Zindu shows up. We'll talk more about him in a second. But he's like, you guys are all awful and terrible. And Mata Zindu, by the way, is like eight foot tall. He has two pupils. I don't know how you get two pupils but in each eye in each eye yes sorry everyone <laughs> yeah <laughs> my bad um but yeah he has two pupils in each eye and then the, there's a prophecy although i don't know about these prophecies there's a prophecy that says that means he'll either be like a great person or a curse on the land so and he's huge and he comes up and he's like yo and he's he's part of this the family of zindu which was overtaken by sean mm-hmm. anyway so he stands up at the table he's like your food's terrible and also, y'all are awful, and you're not graceful people. You're not the grace yeah. of kings. And he steals a horse, <laughs> and he, he y'all are not the title of this book. And they're like, <gasps> <laughs> and he slick dips. He's like, let's go. And he takes his like horse that came out of nowhere, and he like gets out of there. And Hunakrima's like, kill him. And everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> remember when Mavadiri like tried that at the beginning of the book? It didn't work. It like also didn't work at this point in time. Oh. So, um. <laughs> by the way like while they're doing all this the emperor and his new like found army and the accountant roll up and they like completely wreck the rebels like by the way like Hunokrima has become awful he's like making everyone build a palace in his name and everyone's like remember when we were all being taken to the capital to build a mausoleum for the emperor now you're making us build right. a palace and then he was like yeah but that's different because you see you didn't want to build a mausoleum but now you want to help me build a palace and they're like no we actually we don't, don't. <laughs> but they don't even get to finish their palace because the emperor rolls up and just wrecks the rebels and hunokrim was like oh time to dip but when he gets into his mm-hmm. like carriage to get away the driver is one of the original rebels who's like yeah used to be a great guy but um my brother basically just died trying to build your palace and you don't seem to care and the hunokrim was like yeah i don't care and then he <laughs> he's like well i guess you're dead then so Right. He is a murderer. And that's the end. Oh, by the way, who no Krima also murdered Shagin? Um, because he like questioned his authority. So he basically right. had him killed and was like, everyone's like, Where's Shagin? And he was like, That's an interesting question. I don't know. So He's like, it's just so afford he just fell from the palace. Right. They're and like, they're uh, like, but it looks like he was strangled. And like, like, oh it, he food poisoning and it's like um you're really how is that a different cause of death than the one you just said he's like what don't ask me any goddamn questions (laughs) y'all know y'all know i killed him Mm -hmm. and girl just get over it like to use power to obscure this fact it's a little bit like um animal farm you know just go read that oh wow tbt to animal farm my god (laughs) throwback thursday so anyway back to cooney so cooney is surprisingly good at ruling the city of zudi as the duke and he cares about people and he makes sure everyone eats and 
he cares about people's feelings and everyone's like huh um this is a change this is like character development none of us were expecting and, and cooney's the guy that like was a banded king for a bit and like, right. you know, was like married yeah, to gia yeah, yeah. But gia yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah all that so anyway, one day he and his friends are out having a picnic and they try to get back to the city and they've dethroned him. And they're like, literally, it was like a breakup by text. They're like, ooh, uh, sorry. Um, click, 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 click. <laughs> Heard the emperor's coming to take down all the rebellions. Click, 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 click. Can't let you back in the city. And they're like, so nothing sorry. personal, but like, <laughs> we put your stuff outside. Oh, sorry, we actually didn't. Please leave. And so like, <laughs> so Cooney and the crew are like, okay, I guess we'll head to Kruko to ask the king to help us get our city back and I was like alright I thought I was just gonna take a nap but that's the plan so mm-hmm. while they're walking over there they run into Luan Zaya and you're like who is Luan Zaya and he's like I actually am the man on the silk kite who tried to assassinate the emperor like on page like 25 and you know page 25 you like took all the pages <laughs> in the middle flipped back and you're like oh yeah that was you and he was like, it's like huh still around <laughs> wild like, yeah um, and he, never left <laughs> never left right <laughs> so he gives like this whole long backstory that we're not going to get into because it's a real subplot but what you need to know is that <laughs> Ha'an was this like hub of science and technology and spiritualism until the emperor killed everyone I think about like the libraries of Alexander or mm-hmm. the libraries in Timbuktu right like knowledge destroyed everyone's sad he goes on this whole journey and he like has a philosophical conclusion about all this stuff and he realizes that it wasn't enough to just assassinate the empire the whole system has to be breaking down we have to break the wheel people so him and cooney hit it off because they're just you know talking eating snacks doing whatever and then luan zaya is like actually anyway i got a piece because i gotta go help the rebels and Ha'an. and he's like okay cool Mm -hmm. i mean we're gonna go to kruko and do some stuff there and they're like bet 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 so mm-hmm. <laughs> Cooney and his squad roll up to the king and they're like, hey, the emperor's army is coming and we need to fight him. Also, can you lend us some soldiers to get our city back? And the king's like, I'm like incredibly unimpressed by you. And Cooney's like, well, that's never stopped him before. So he goes and talks to Finn and <laughs> Mata. And like Finn is is Mata's uncle. If you remember Mata was that one who like grabbed that horse with the two peoples, the four peoples. Right, and, like two peoples in each mm-hmm. eye, like big, eight foot tall. Like, right, yeah, right, right. Giving you all that. So his uncle is Finn and they, um, the, are the king's strategists and just for like a little background Finn's family Finn and Z- Mata's family were like the famous family in charge of like this island until the emperor killed them and like took over their kingdom but he left Finn alive because he was like it's not even honorable killing you because you're like 13 and you went and ran and hide during a war that's so embarrassing mm. of you and you're like right right so he's like I guess I'll just leave you to take care of Mata your nephew and I was like I feel like you're really being rude to this 13 year old who's just really suffered a lot of trauma so yeah. Finn puts all the nuance of his human character and feelings aside to become like a hard tough person who can take care of Mata and instill him with like the worthy traits of a warrior so he can lead his house and reclaim his honor and you're like yeah this just sounds like toxic masculinity instilled in you by an empire that killed your family through trauma and violence but anyway fast forward to the present Mata wants to meet the emperor head on and fight him and Finn's like no we need to tire them out and let them come to us nephew and then Kuni's like you know you know what's in I I think I see where Mata is coming from. I don't have any other motivations other than I just really think that Mata has a good point. You know where we should meet the Emperor head on? <laughs> At Zudi. <laughs> That's okay. I just saw it on the map and I thought it was a good place and I thought that might be the place that we should do it. And here's the thing. I actually am the Duke was, was the Duke of Zudi. And if you give me an army, we can do that. And they're like, interesting. Ding. Okay. I mean, also, Cooney does say some like stuff about like, no, it's important to care about the health and safety of people. And if you let the 
emperor come to you, how many people are going to die before that happens? Like so many people rebelled under the guise that you would protect them. So maybe we should protect them. And so Finn's like, yeah, fair, 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 fair. So he's mm-hmm. like, all right, Mata, Kuni, 5,000 men. You go back to Zudi and, you know, protect your city. And Gia's like, I know that I literally am not in the story, but I'm going to stay here <laughs> because I'm pregnant. And you're like, that makes sense. <laughs> oh my God. And meanwhile, we're, we're going to talk about Gia. We're going to talk so about frustrating. Gia. <laughs> my God. Okay. So, yeah. So, yes. So, like, okay. Matazindu, Kuni, let's get Zudi back. Let's, you know, take it back from this empire. So, so basically, they make it back to the city, and it was like low key kind of unceremonious. Like I was, it, I was like, oh my god, girl, it's gonna be a mm. battle. And then they showed up, and then like <laughs> the, really. the shot of people were like, oh girl, we actually don't want that smoke. Um, yeah, girl, you good? Like, we, <laughs> like just just take it. Yeah, girl. I'm oh, sorry, we like locked you out. Early. Oh my god, like here, here's some cookies. Like they literally were like, oh yeah, girl, like please just don't kill us. And they're like, yeah, that's, like that's fine. Mind you, Matazindu is like, oh my god. Okay, so he is like extra all about just like bloodlust and like power and violence so he's like let's just kill everyone and then Cooney's like no. um we don't need to kill everyone because they uh they apologize and like i mean they arrested all of Cooney's friends while he was gone but like he just like took him out of jail and they're like hey Cooney, like what's up and like they're all like hanging out like i don't know like playing scrabble and like mata zindu's like you're friends with a bunch of like criminals and bandits like just the lowliest likes of society because mind you like mata's from like i guess like a noble family. family or whatever and so he like looks at them and he's like how are you hanging out with these motherfuckers aren't you the duke of zudi and then like Cooney's like but i'm actually not better than anyone because all of this spoiler alert is fake kind of like how marcy mentioned at the very beginning of the episode like it's all fake girl like who cares <laughs> Like none of it matters, and like Mata's like, wait, who's Marcy? And it's like it was just like a whole thing. Um, anyway, so basically, like Mata's like Loki judgmental as fuck, but he's also like I kind of like fucks with Cooney because like he's just like very genuine, like yeah. he's just very like like in how he treats other people, like he doesn't really code switch. Like, he's just like all around here for the people, like actually. And he's like, oh, maybe I should take a take a take a note from this. Yeah, and also Mata doesn't have any friends, y'all. Like he literally, they start hanging out, and he's like, wait what is this what are you guys doing they're like we're talking and hanging out and they're like to what end and they're like mata just take a drink and he's like what is this and they're like it's alcohol and he's like ew and you're like yeah. mata chill 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 like you're good you're good <laughs> like it's fine Go and he like relax. he kind of starts to like relax and like get into it he's like this is what friendship is interesting right He's like, ah, yes, 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 interesting, interesting, interesting. But um, but yeah, so they're all just like kind of like key king, whatever. Real quick, so there was like a group of bandits that like I guess tried to like overtake like Mata in, mm. in them one day. Um, no, they're attacking like, the city more because it's like being run so well that there's a bunch of merchants. That mm-hmm. yeah. See, y'all, it is it's 300 pounds. I'm literally trying to, I'm like, it's just the details. I'd be, oh, but girl. Anyway, so yeah, so they try to attack the city. Mata's like, girl, fuck out of here. Um, So he's like, girl, let's just kill these motherfuckers. And then Cooney's like, I mean, we don't need to kill mm-hmm. them. But also Cooney's like, I was once abandoned. I literally robbed bitches for my job. Like, I right. literally did this. And so I see the humanity of people. We're not going to kill you, but like, we need y'all to help us because, you know, the Empire, they going to hear that we took over Zudi again. They going to send they, they yep. gonna send the squad. So uh, y'all just help us out. And then Mata's like, but we must killed and he's like okay i know okay my girl please like can you please just, oh, girl, chill, just chill. Like, I have a juicy juice like girl sit down like relax just a like, fruit girl, roll up like fuck like just, like, <laughs> like just roll like he's a capri sun girl damn anyway so matcha's like girl i can't believe you are keeping these people alive but whatever and um so yeah so they're right because the emperor is like oh oh y'all can be y'all can be taken back places that we took mm-hmm. oh not you not you take it over zooty absolutely not so they like send like soldiers 
And a whole like battle royale takes place. Mata is living because he's like, oh my God, I get to like kill people in mass with like no consequences. Which mind you, Mata's been doing that kind of low-key throughout the entire book. But right. he's like, oh, thank God, bloodshed. But Kuni's and like, so, let's chill. <laughs> let's just let's just relax. So mind you, in all of this, the rebellion is pretty much like at a complete disadvantage. Like they don't really have nearly as many troops as mm. the as the empire outside, and they're like, okay, we cannot. If they get inside the city, we're done. So right. we have to just kind of like keep them at bay. And so I guess they're like jumping on like the walls of the city and like taking over like the soldiers that are trying to like get over the wall and all this other shit. And like it's like this whole battle royale. It's like, oh my god, we're fighting. But Matazindu is low key like just like botting everybody, so they're like able to kind of hold them at bay. So basically, the Shana Empire is like, okay, well, what we'll do, we'll just wait outside the city and we'll just make sure that y'all can't get any resources and then we'll basically force you to surrender it's a siege a siege the term yes thank you Akko. <laughs> <laughs> so that was their plan however the bandits from earlier the, the the same ones that mata wanted to kill they devised this whole plan where essentially they were like okay well like we're just gonna like wreak havoc on yeah. <laughs> on the empire like basically like the people who are waiting outside like they would still like their resources they would like burn shit like they would just like just it really just inconvenience the mm-hmm. fuck out of them they would like release their horses just cause as much chaos as possible and to the point where they were like the empire was like okay we kind of want to just like leave but like we can't just like let them take over zuti because then that's just like that doesn't look right like that like how are we gonna look coming back to the to pond right. like, like with nothing so they basically land on this whole thing where they decide that they're gonna have like a sky air battle of y'all can't make this shit up basically they're like what we're gonna do is on each side so mind you so inside of zuti there's like kuni and mata and all them and so they're like, okay, we're just going to have, we're going to tie one of us to like a, like a kite. And basically we're just going to like have one representative from each side battle it out. And then whoever wins, wins. And so Mata's like, well, girl, obviously I'm going to be the one who does the kite on this side. Cause I love violence and killing motherfuckers. And then I guess on the other side, like Morana was like, well, girl, I don't really want that smoke. Um, I'm just get somebody else. To right, do right. So basically Mata just slays anybody that like shows up. And in long story short, they're able to kind of maintain control over Zudi, which is extremely embarrassing for the Shauna empire. Cause they're like, how the fuck did you lose this? Right. How did you lose this? You literally should have won. Also, it should be noted that the reason, so they actually started training their army, like, earlier whereas the other rebellion forces were just the proletariat uprising like they weren't trained or anything they were just people rolling up and so the empire had gotten used to like oh yeah when you go when you actually go against the rebels they just crumble and fall and then they're like they got to these guys and they're like oh never mind they actually had a plan not not a good plan i mean it was it worked but that's why it's embarrassing because they like were underprepared right exactly so see it so pretty much the last like major thing that happens in part one is that essentially so there's an island called aralugi that has like floating buildings and tea houses and it's like super graceful and beautiful mm-hmm. and whoop, whoop, whoop. there lives a princess named princess kikomi mm-hmm. who like gia in a lot of ways who we will talk about at length is like Underrated. really brilliant like just like very is like, just the best leader imaginable like just like like you know kind of knows the landscape is just like really good at like pretty much everything but during all this time she's a woman so like her options at like political power and leadership are like highly limited and basically she's kind of just like reduced to her beauty like people regard her as like really really beautiful and like they're just like oh, like people around her are like oh like you're so beautiful like that's like the most important characteristic about you and she's like but like it isn't and they're like oh but it is and she's like oh yikes um and so like but more than anything she lives you know on this island and she like just wants to make sure that like her people are safe that's like the biggest thing that she's worried about she's like as long as my community is good i'm good so you know that's that's just that on that so one day of course because nothing can you know go without 
right violence <laughs> and nonsense um the shauna empire rolls up kendo morana the same one from zudi is like hey so taking over our loogie so sorry just gonna like take over real quick like move aside please and it's like she's like you gotta be actually fucked up and so it's like this whole thing they're trying to like battle them off but like shauna's really like overtaking and so basically she's like okay what if i can like kind of leverage my beauty to sort of like break down the shauna empire from the inside but like morana like catches on to what she's doing yeah and basically kind of cuts her a deal it was it was a gag in the in the book but i'll just explain it now just so it kind of puts everything else in context basically what he says to her is like look like the rebellion is like really powerful like mata and like his uncles finn are like really low-key legendary mm-hmm. so like i'm gonna need you to like cut down at least one of them like kill one of them and like make just like stir seeds of like mistrust within the rebellion that's what i need you to do if you don't do that oh this whole thing can burn straight to the ground girl like it's it's not it's nothing and she's like cool so that's um what i'm gonna do those are shitty options but i guess i'll take it so she basically agrees and so there's this whole thing where like they got transported by airship and then like the crew of the airship like got overtaken and like basically long story short basically kikomi the actual king of like the of the island whose name is like so irrelevant, like literally we don't just, care. like yeah. who cares? <laughs> um, and like the other people that she was with, they end up in was it in Zudi or were they in Kukro? Somewhere Kukro. where the rebellion was, Kukro. Yes, so that's like I guess like, like the rebellion stronghold. So while she's there, she meets Mata Zindu, who you know I guess up to this point had never really been in love with anybody, and was like, oh my right. god, I'm so in love. I just love Kikomi so much. And Kikomi's like, girl, don't you see that I'm having this is basic? Like we're having basic conversation. Like I'm not like like oh so she's like so she's kind of just going through the motions and then like i i feel like she she might have had some feelings for my it is she did hinted at that she might have had some feelings but duty first kind of thing basically and like finn like starts like kind of feeling her too and was like oh my god like oh you're like so beautiful and lit and like you like you don't want like like a young whippersnapper like mata you want someone (laughs) like me who's mature and like and you know i just i just and she's like i don't care about this i don't care about either (laughs) of you i only care about my people um so like basically she's like okay look she's like fuck zana through and through but the options here are kind of shitty if i have to kill at least one of these people i don't want it to be mata because mata is way more valuable to the rebellion so i'll just like kill finn but i'll make it look like i just killed him because i was in love with morana because low-key if the rebellion sees that like i kill finn and then like they you know leave my island alone like they're gonna think like we're in cahoots and then they might come after the island so i'm gonna just like make it seem like i just like got you know like i was just so out of control you know in love right. that i just like did some rash shit i'm gonna just make it look like that so you just see like i'll just play into this idea of like women just can't think oh no. right and just like i just so many emotions yeah. and it's just like okay so she's like so i'll just kind of play into that and hopefully that kind of like protects my people um so basically that's what she does she like you know she gets with finn mata's devastated um you know finn and her sleep together one night and then she ends up killing him and then like she like calls the guards says that she did it because she was in love with morana and she blah 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 they kill her and uh think that's pretty much yeah that's, that's yeah, uh that's the end of part that's one that's pretty much how part one ends um which is an arbitrary cutoff point that we made on page 302 of this book exactly mm. right before chapter 27 yes. so so yeah so there's a lot to talk about we're gonna take a break we're gonna go back and uh talk about all the feelings and thoughts because uh we got got some things to say we got some yeah yeah we'll see y'all in a bit and we're back (laughs) so yes 
So yeah, y'all, this book, a lot of characters, mm-hmm. a lot of countries, a lot of people. Oof. But, you know, we just, we we tried to distill it all to make it as <laughs> not five hours long. Because uh, <laughs> for context, part one of this book was longer than all of When the Moon Was Ours, like by <laughs> several pages. So that's how much information we're trying to distill. But anyway. I guess we can kind of go into like our overall thoughts and then from there just kind of like go into the nitty-gritty. Mm. So for me, I, whew, I, I'm not even gonna lie to y'all, I definitely struggled with this book more so at the top half of this. In that, there's just a lot of elements of it that I was kind of like, okay, this is like not real. Like it, it's, it's a lot about, it's like basically like a power fantasy. Like it explores a lot around like, you know, the politics of power and just like kingdoms and conquering and all this other stuff. And like, that's just not really my interest typically when it comes to literature. Like I think about even, for example, like Game of Thrones, like I could never get into it because I just didn't. I, I just find narratives around things like that just not that interesting. I just like, I, for me, I'm just kind of like, eh, I don't really like love this. Also too, like just like the representation of women in this book was like really just annoying. There are just like no prominent women characters in this book. Like honestly, like it's just like everyone is like, like the women that are present, it just seems like all of them are just kind of like plot devices for the men or like just some sort of like source of motivation or whatever, whatever. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, I feel like while characters like Gia or Princess Kakomi are like said to be like, oh, like, you know, they're really brilliant. They're really smart. They have so much to offer. Like Gia basically like she like knows all of the herbs on the planet basically. And like she could create these different like serums that have different like properties. Like she like has a lot of like really amazing skills. And like, she's also just like smarter than Cooney period. Like just smarter. Like in like, it's like they're characterized in these ways that are like, you know, like, especially with a war afoot, like, there's so much that they can contribute, but they're just, like, continually just, like, not not part of the story. And it's, like, really frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, it's hard to care when it's just, like, it just feels like, oh, like, men, the book, just reading about men. And it's just, like, this is just... I know. And, it, and, like, it's one thing where it's, like, it'd be one thing if, okay, this is, like, a historical whatever. But it's, like, this is literally fantasy. Mm-hmm. It just feels like sometimes it just doesn't really track. Because I'm, like, this is actually, Made none up. of this is real or happened. So, like, I don't see why we're holding on to these sort of, like, really oppressive, like, gender norms and standards. Like, this doesn't seem, like, this doesn't have to be a property of the fantasy world that we live in. Mm-hmm. So, like... It's like really frustrating. Um, I mean, there's flying kites. Like right, like it's like we we literally have flying kites. Like we literally have like gods that are like alive and interact. Like we like all this is existing, but like Gia can't contribute to anything because it's like she like like her her character is literally just like oh like she's pregnant and like kind of like Kuni's source of like motivation here and there. And I'm just kind of like this is just like really frustrating to like the characterization was just really frustrating. But mm-hmm. like I will say. About halfway through, like around page like 200, uh, which is like wild, (laughs) long as fuck. Around page 200, I will say I did start to get more invested in the story. I don't know if it's because like the war starts to really pick up or what happened, but it definitely started to get more interesting. And I found myself genuinely kind of curious about what's going to happen next. I would say at this point, I'm curious to see what's going to happen. Before I was like, girl, I am, it's like pulling teeth <laughs> trying to Marcy see what, like, I was put like, that in his notes multiple times. I was like, there's <laughs> so many characters, there's so many countries, there's like, for all the people who watch Naruto, it's like everyone has a backstory. Mm-hmm. Every one has a backstory, despite their levels of importance. And it's like, it just makes Except the book for the female characters. so long. Oh, except for, exactly. <laughs> except for the women characters. So like, absolutely like not. Naruto. But like, <laughs> 
Right. Basically, yeah. Basically, still like Naruto. And it's just like, okay, so why do I know this much about fucking Krupo of the Zana Empire? But like Gia, who's been around pretty much for like, like, since like early ass, like in the book, like, still don't really know much about her character at all. We know that she's like from a noble family. We, uh, she's good with herbs. Anything else? She's good with herbs. uh, That's something. Yeah, she's, but like, you know, backstory motivations, like, nothing. Do we, mm. no, no oh okay interesting so it's it's getting more interesting and there are definitely some things i want that i think the book does well there's certainly a lot of things to talk about but um yeah yeah i'm not gonna lie to y'all it was definitely a struggle getting into it but now that i'm in it i'm kind of like okay this is like let's see what let's see what happens mm. how do you feel Akko? yeah i feel like i have a, a little bit more tolerance for fantasy and the startup like even though I also am annoyed, but I think it's because I have less time as an adult than I did as a kid. Mm. So as a kid, like I was totally fine with like spending a bunch of time trying to figure out the world because the payoff is that halfway through, you're like really, really, really invested in it. And like Mm -hmm. you're in the world and you can see it and feel it. And the consequences, it's almost like, like a, a clock, like you set it off and then all the pieces go off because Mm. everything's been built out already. And, I yes. what I love about that and what it annoys me a little bit about, about this book is when you build a whole new world that has different like actions or repercussions you can do so much with that right and you can divorce it so much from reality and that's why I tend to like fantasy more than magical realism so mm-hmm. it's why I was so irritated when I was like okay can you actually do that though like let's really divorce this from reality like let's really examine the mm. human character as opposed to relying on sort of I don't know, just exactly like the like some tropes that I just thought I didn't really understand why Gia and, and those characters had to be written in such a f- pretty unimpressive fashion. And then I started to remember that like I, I don't know how to explain this to like I'm not trying to generalize the male populace, but you do know that like two things: one, women <laughs> exist outside of who you think are attractive, right? Like I was like, is mm. why is every woman in this book? attractive and then i was like someone once told me it's like well you know when people are really in their toxic masculinity or even not like the system is built to make you think that for a lot of men there aren't any women but women they find attractive and you're like wait you do know the category of woman extends past those who you subjectively (laughs) are attracted to right (laughs) and they're like no the only so all of their problems that people write for stories about women is has to do with how like attractive they are and how people want them and you're like oh dear lord like that's not that's what you think that women suffer from. That's not what women objectively suffer mm. from. But the problem is the patriarchy and the way the world's oriented now means that the male gaze is seen as what creates the reality of people. That's the issue. <laughs> like the reality yeah. is separate from your gaze. And this book does not examine that at all. I think it, tr- it no, it doesn't try. For a moment, Cooney's like, why are we insulting women? And you're like, you, you're you missing the point. One like diatribe mm-hmm. about how like we shouldn't insult women doesn't, instead, why don't you make a woman with agency in the story to react to those comments and I don't know, have a character trait. Like that's how you, right. you do that. So I was a little, 
I was super annoyed by that. I couldn't even read Kikimo's story that much because I was like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> Kikimo's story is that she's mm. super beautiful and like that, I, it sounded like a man, you watched Beastars, right? Like that, yes. I feel like that was the whole point of the female character. They're like, oh, she's so beautiful. Yep. Everyone wants her and women are jealous and like that's her problem. Like, no, you, that's the, that is what a man would write a woman's problem to be. That, <laughs> like, yes! That can, that's not, that's a very flat <laughs> understanding and I was just like, that's ridiculous. So, I had a problem with that. I do think, which is an, which is annoying, that they do a really Ken does a really good dive into how toxic masculinity on the individual level is created by violence and oppression at the top. Right? You see how mm-hmm. the bonds of brotherhood and love and softness. You see it with Finn and Mata. You see it with these other brothers, Rotho and Dafino, are mm-hmm. broken by violence and and war and when people are like, you know, this is what men do. This is men. We, this is what we're supposed to do. You're like, no, you're forgetting that these dichotomies of gender aren't just like spontaneous. They've been created because of violence and war. And you're like, well, war is just something humans do. You're like, fine, but like transcend. Like you are not Oof. what we, like slavery was also a violent practice that caused reverberating effects. You know, uh, there's so many violent actions that are long gone that we based our whole society around that does not mean that's who we are. Like we need to move mm-hmm. away from those categorizations. And you're like, but what if we have a war again? Yeah, that would be bad. But again, we just need to figure out a way to see ourselves for who we are, as opposed to the point of violence is to reorient your mind. That's why you torture people, right? It's to make them see the world the way you want to see them. So war reorients our brains and it does through like to see the world a certain way and to divorce and to, minimize beautiful things and and love and Mm. closeness and the book does a really good job of showing the tragedy of that in a way that i thought was beautiful in some some parts of it and it Mm. did a really good job i think in examining the way that people take up the mantle of power and then do the same thing as their oppressors because they haven't i don't want to say transcend again because that's when you like start to sound (laughs) fuddy-duddy but you know what i mean we don't examine that and then (laughs) We don't examine that. Like at the threshold of Fuddy Duddy, you're like, ooh. She's yeah, that's not, that's not too much. Too, too much many. Too, two transcends is too, too many. But, um, right. but, you know, we don't emancipate ourselves mentally from these structures until we end up reinstilling mm. them, which is why Cooney yeah. is so cool. Also, similar to Naruto. I know that sounds weird, but it's a philosophical and epistemological change, right? Cooney's way of seeing the world is not only to end the empire, but kind of like what was named Lewin said. To break the cycle, to start with a different orientation of mm. of caring and valuing the people in your kingdom. Yeah. So that's what I so at first I was like, I'm about to give this book zero stars. And I kept reading, I was like, oh, yeah, no, no, I see what like I will not give the zero stars. I'm actually starting to get really, really invested. I want to see how this ends. I will say, I don't know why, <laughs> again, part of deconstructing things, I don't know why there's, they just kept having these like islands of indigenous people that then they were like, they were savages and then we got there and then like, they, <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I literally had to be like, I'm not, this isn't, we're not doing this today. I'm, I'm we're don't, not, a, not today. <laughs> we didn't even put it in the summary for the reason that we're not giving light to it. Yeah. Like it's absurd. But I do want to point out that that's a criticism. That's ridiculous. We need, that's not we're not doing that (laughs) yeah so anyway but that's how i feel yeah i you speaking truth to power it's just that's the thing it's so interesting because i notice all these i feel like this is the book i have well mm, 
We did also read House of the Spirits. Ooh, we also read Wedding Date. <laughs> this may not be the book that I've been the most critical of that we've ever read on this show. But for a book that I am, like, very critical of in a lot of ways, it is interesting how I'm like, why am I so... Why am I interested in what happens next? Like, I feel like, I don't know, like, if I notice these things that are just so jarring, like, it just takes me out and I'm like, literally, fuck this book. But, like, there's something about this that I'm like, you know, I don't know, maybe it was all the backstories. I don't know. Maybe it was all the all the characters. But you just kind of put in all this time and you're like, well, damn, I feel like I kind of <laughs> got to know what happens next at this point. Like, it's just like, I just got to see what takes place. But I do want I do want to talk about Cooney's character because I think that he is someone who, I mean, ugh. Does some shit that I'm like, oh, Cooney, yikes. But for the most part, I'm like, I like that he, the way that he questions authority. I like the way that he reveals the pageantry mm-hmm. behind authority. Um, how so much of like, you know, his meetings with like other dukes and like people in the government. He's just like, oh, girl, this is like just a lot of like weird pandering. Yeah, it's and, a like, lie. Like, just like it's like a lot. Of, like it's just performance. Like people are just like acting in roles and just doing this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And like you know, even with Mata, he was just like, oh, like. Mata's like, oh my god, how are you friends with like the lowliest people of society? And he's like, aren't you from a family that in theory is supposed to like systematically take care of people? How are you judging people? This like, you know, these kinds of people live in your own like the societies that you held power in, though. Like, how are you like if you run in this shit and judging these motherfuckers? Like, how are you judging me for not what? Like, and it's like I I like the way that he reveals just how much. I think the book does a really good job of showing how, like, this war that's taking place is just, like, petty bullshit mm-hmm. dynamics between, like, just, like, people in leadership and the people who pay the price of the people who are, like, hold the least amount of privilege in the society and people who are just, like, forced to fight these wars and, like, their names aren't, like, expounded upon. We don't know anything about them. They're right. just described as, like, you know, the bloodshed that falls onto Mata as he's, like, slaying people left and right. And it's, like, but these people also, like, you know, Had like, whole lives. Had whole lives. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, and so much is lost in the name of what? Like, yeah. just to build another empire that's just as violent? Who knows Krima was awful. awful. I was like, why are you, like, how are you calling yourself the Rebellion? And you were literally worse than Mapadiri. Like, mm. or at least as bad. <laughs> like, and shit, we didn't, we didn't talk about this, but like, there was actually a part after when they took over Zudi, uh, or like when they maintained control over Zudi, they went, oh my God, I forgot where they went. It was like one of the kingdoms, basically, Kuni was there and Mata was there. And basically they like, took over the town from like the sh- like i guess these were like ashana empire like a empathizing town and they took over that town too and then they literally they built a mass grave that could hold like a thousand people and shoved all the nobles in that city in there mm-hmm. and buried them alive which if you think i was gonna say what do you think about it shauna didn't even do actually shauna never even did that shit what i mean they killed people but yeah yeah, I mean, yeah they killed a lot of people i mean they definitely killed more than a thousand people right let's, right, let's be clear. right but Cooney was like, while this is happening, Cooney was like, this is really awful. We should not be doing this. This is so terrible. And then Mata was like, oh, well, like, like if we if we don't wield violence and power, like, how are they going to, like, respect us? And so then Cooney's like, okay. And because of this weird interpersonal dynamic between Cooney and Mata, like, a thousand people mm-hmm. just, like, died in the mix. Even though Cooney says, he's like, this will destroy us. Like, this will exactly. be the thing that doesn't work. And he does it anyway. And he just does it anyway. And then Cooney's just like, well, I mean, you know, the price of war. And I'm like, this is so... And it's what's so frustrating. And I think that's what makes the book interesting to watch is when it gets into those points, what hurts the most is that is true. Like, this is what happens on petty, fuddy-duddy nonsense. Wars start... The older I get, the more infuriated I am to learn that there is nothing deeper about violence than insecurity and want to have things like there you you Mm -hmm. think you think that there is something 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 people were chasing some deep you know like 
answer to the universe. But the answer is no. Right. The answer is no. That people die because of disinterest. You know, when um, Krupa is like, oh, I hate running governments. I don't know. Like, stop the rebellion. I don't know. Like, do something. You're like, what? But, right. <laughs> you know, like it, it's ad- it's almost asinine. It's almost like dismissive. People die from the dismissiveness mm. of people. And it's so heart-wrenching and there are parts in this i think what makes this book work is there's these vignettes that are very humanizing about different groups of people and we didn't even mention them but there are some side plots that i was like this side plot's more interesting than the main plot like (laughs) um, oh definitely and it's and it's that juxtaposition someone in college is like i just learned this word (laughs) it's that juxtaposition (laughs) love me a juxtaposition (laughs) (laughs) but it's that juxtaposition between um these really human stories, these human narratives and them being killed so senselessly and randomly and like a story just Mm -hmm. ending that makes you realize the cost and the the price of war. Um, Right. I think this book does take, I don't know if anyone knows, but it's called Romance of the Three Kingdoms. I feel like everyone's like, Akko, where do you even, but (laughs) Romance of, to be fair, to be fair, Romance of the Three Kingdoms is a famous Chinese novel. It's one of the, there's three famous ones. It's that one, there's Journey to the West and there is, I think one more. I want to say it's the Red Pagoda, but, you know, someone's going to correct me or they won't. Anyway, but Romance of the Three Kingdoms does talk about this very intricate, you know, it talks about all these characters and side characters and generational lines. And it's almost like to say, to really tell the story of war, right? And not the flat, almost dismissive way that we tell stories about war now or violence now, Mm. even in American movies and such, to really tell the story is to tell about all the lineages of people that was affected. All the Mm. the small, minute conversations between people then aggregated to make the consequences that we see today so that when you see the actual event, you don't just lose sight that that event is the most obvious thing, but there were a thousand things that made that thing happen. You know, right. and I, the book does attempt to do that. It's like it's not romance of the three kingdoms, but like nothing is romance. Of, you know, there's like three things that are romance of the three kingdoms. Okay, like, <laughs> like it's not the right. Odyssey either, but that's not the point. It does try and do that, and it does it in an inventive way with this silk punk stuff. I wish it was more silk punk. Like, um, mm-hmm. I also wish they there was a lot of Eurocentric features. I was like, if we're gonna divorce this from European centric literature, let's divorce from, from Eurocentric features too, huh? Maybe anyone, anyone. You mean like physical? features or yeah like i think like, cooney has green eyes gr has red hair oh yeah i was like okay yeah. i get it i mean it's a fancy novel do what you want but in that same way like <laughs> it's a fancy novel do what you want like come on let's get some exactly. different characters there was only one queer character that they give like one line to he still had more oh my god so even, yeah i mean he had more character <laughs> development than gia which i was like <laughs> which i was so i was like more upset about that i'm like how do i know about like more about this random throwaway right. queer character than gia's character like, like what can the you fuck just, but also can you give this man a story like again like right. you can't just call things out in a book and then think that you like you have to make the characters be essential to the novel like mm, yeah that is yeah i don't thank know. you for saying that Thank you so much for saying that because literally I think that was the piece that I found the most frustrating because it was like it was usually Cooney and like I mean maybe to a lesser degree other people but usually Cooney who would be like oh but like we must respect women and we oh like we will normalize queerness and all these different things it's like yeah but if you say that but then the book in literally every other way doesn't 
coincide with that it just looks like a throwaway line mm-hmm. which in essence it is because like does anything change and like, it's i mean kuni you're literally the duke of zuti you could actually change mm-hmm. how things are operating and you also are not and, but, so, and, like, but you are and also in other regards does not this one apparently <laughs> right um <laughs> or even for example princess kikomi like she had a conversation with i think was a goddess yes, unclear yeah. that was like a like a like a feminine person that came into the room and like they had this whole conversation and princess kakomi was like oh well you know i just feel like it's so limiting it's like you know people always distill me down to like my beauty and like that's seen as like the only form of capital that i can possess but there's so much more that i can like give to the world and like that i want to give to people i just feel like i don't have any options like why does my power only have to be that of like like a form of power or like a form of like flattery or whatever mm-hmm. the fuck that like Seduction. men can like that i can offer to men like mm-hmm. it's always like me and by extension of men like why can't i have power on my own and then the goddess was like oh well like i mean you're not like a harlot or nothing like that and she was like um not no point. i'm actually just like <laughs> i'm actually just making a commentary on like the like the gender dynamics of the time and like the goddess is like but you know the thing about power is that power comes in all forms so like you gotta use you know what you got and princess kakomi is like yeah that's why i'm annoyed girl because it seems like this is the only form that i have and she's like but like make it work and like then they kind of just squashed it and i'm like so princess kakomi was actually there's a lot of nuance there that like i feel like even in the moment that that was supposed to be captured like got lost what the fuck happened just (laughs) i was like what um i will say and i don't know i don't think this was the intention of the writer but if uh, giving the benefit of the doubt maybe it was there is something they said about the fact that the gods like is kind of a metaphor for like class in the sense that like the issues that a upper level god female faces they're like if you're a human and you're like i feel disempowered because of like the oppressive patriarchal system a goddess is like what (laughs) i'm a god and i think in a lot of ways too when you think of the hierarchy and this is true of the roman empire right like if you ask the upper class woman like do you suffer from the same problems as like a slave woman or a woman of lower class Mm. they'd be like we're not even the same breed of people and you're like oh shit like i forgot that elitism can like break any like solidarity you know what i mean Mm. and so in a way i was kind of like this goddess doesn't understand what this woman is saying because she's a goddess you know (laughs) like in the same way like (laughs) she's a god (laughs) (laughs) the same way like i think a lot of upper class white women you don't even understand the the complaints of like you know a lower class white women or much less women of color Mm. in lower positions right so i exactly i don't i don't know i'm I'm like want to attribute that to like a a meaningful and like intentional writing but you know (laughs) i'm not gonna i'm I'm not gonna say no yeah why not like maybe it was and then we we also don't know what the rest of the book holds so these things could be expanded on as the books go on and i'd I'd be very happy to see it but please do that like please (laughs) please oh my god um Um, because even the wedding date i mean i didn't like the what was her name i can't remember her and her alexa Alexa and her brie eating thank you good look at you with the memory i didn't care about her motivation (laughs) alexa fucking drew yeah jesus christ Christ. like their motivations didn't move me but alexa did have i mean i knew what alexa was gonna do at any given you know like she had Mm. character traits that i could follow and had agency i honestly now i'm thinking about it i think i want to like be even less critical than I was of um, an unkindness of ghosts because that really did centralize people of different narratives and gender expressions and made them the yeah. focus of the story. And that's what a lot of stories miss. And this is as I like this story, I do, but it's missing that. That's just the truth. Yeah. So it's just yeah, it's just true. And and a lot of the characters, I think, even just like 
like distilling them to their like characteristics and like their personality traits are like just kind of like just very similar. I don't know. I feel like there's mm. a lot of like a, like their like the core values. They're like what motivates them. It just seems like a lot of them are just kind of like I don't know, looking for this like power and whatever. And it's just kind of like I mean. If you're going to have, like, a really homogenous set of characters that you're yeah. going to focus on, at least give them, like, extremely varying personality traits and, like, go. priorities. <laughs> exactly. Like, at least give me, just give me something, yeah. girl. Damn. Um, I will say, though, one more thing about Kunigara, because I guess I... We, I, do I, I actually stand? really Maybe. like I him. I agree. Um, I think... One thing I really love about his character is that he also, more than just doing, you know, showcasing, like, the pageantry that goes behind, like, authority and the wielding of power in a public space, like, he also, I just love that he he literally demonstrates, like, why it's important to have, like, folks from marginalized backgrounds, like, mm. in leadership making these kinds of decisions. Because it's like, if you had never lived your life as a band if you had never lived yep. your life having people look down on you and think that you weren't going to amount to anything, this, that, and the third, you would never be as, like, empathetic to the people who need you. And mind you, when, like, that whole thing with Zudi was happening and, like, Mato was like, let's just kill these bandits. And he was like, no, let's actually just invest in them and, like, provide opportunity mm-hmm. and resources and, like, see, and, like, you know, trust them. And then, like, because of them, they won. Yep. Like, if they, weren't, if they weren't there, they would have lost that battle, yep. period. And so, so it's just one of those things where I'm like, again, like the book itself may not always do this, but I, I think that message is something that I am kind of capturing in his in Cooney's character that I'm like, this is, I like this. Yeah. I, go ahead, Cooney Gara. I'm just, we love, we love to see uh-huh. it. So, so yeah, but, um, I don't have any quotes or anything. Do you have any quotes? Hmm. No, I don't have any quotes. I think my only last point <laughs> is just to yeah agree that I think Kunigara and the way they're seeing goes back to our like question at the top where it's like, how do you change a power structure? And you see that all these people are fighting to maintain title and, you know, maybe old past glory. And Cody is saying like, what is the point of that if we don't change like how we value people like why what are we fighting right. for if we're not going to change the way we value humans Oof, um say that so i agree with you that i think Cooney makes you keep wanting to read the book so i that's low-key i think that's actually yeah, i think yeah. that's the key because i think if Cooney wasn't there if Cooney died i'd be like okay so uh watch Cooney. we don't even know watch Cooney be gone in the second half of this book oh let's uh, oh my god speaking of the second half what do you think is going to happen? Do you have any predictions? Oh, you're right. That, that's something we do. <laughs> <laughs> On our podcast. On this podcast that we have like 50 episodes of. I actually oh I actually think Kunio is going to die. I think it's going to focus on his mm. his son. I think that's, yeah, the story is kind of like I was saying with the Romance of the Three Kingdoms. It's going to show the results. And these characters that we have now as the main characters are going to become the predecessors in the way that like Finn is Mata's predecessor and the story's mm. going to go from there. I think also, I, this is why I mentioned it, that, that band that that's in love with Gia, I just feel like that's something's going to happen. I don't know. Oh, same. Oh, same. Mm. Cause I mean, okay. I mean, Gia is pregnant again. That's true. And all I know, all I, listen, when I read that part, I was like, this might be, um, Oh, so Let's maybe maybe the character development of the female characters will improve. Well, that's mostly what happens. Well, maybe. Because I was literally like, I'm like, do we know that this is a Cooney's baby? Like, what's mm. uh, the tea here? But um, anyway. What about you? I agree. I think that they're definitely going to focus on those future generations. I will say, I think that the 
Rebellion's definitely going to win, but I think in that, Huno Krima's character is going to serve as, like, foreshadowing in a lot of mm. ways of, like, oh, like, yeah, the Rebellion won, but, like, is it really that much better? I feel like it's going to, like, really kind of make a little muddy sort of like the expectations behind what the rebellion is largely because of Mata. And I think Mata, that's going to be a huge source of tension. It's like, Mm. okay, girl, like Mata, we can't have the rebellion be in power and Mata also be in power. Like we got to have one or the other. And so I think that's, yeah, Mata, I think is really about to fuck shit up. And honestly, I, I would, I would not be surprised if like he and, um, Cooney like came to blows. Mm, about it. I can see it. Something about their relationship. I'm like, I feel like y'all are gonna like fight to the death. Yeah, I think it's gonna. You're right. I think there's their relationship's gonna fall apart, which is sad. Yeah. So we'll see. But yeah. But yes. If you, you have know. thoughts, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Not your transitioning. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have, if you want to comment on our transitions. Great place to do that would be at the color pages on our Twitter. Mm-hmm. And maybe at these color pages at our Instagram. And also we have these link trees. So you can know what we're mm-hmm. reading next. You know? Send us an email. Be like, y'all don't even understand what Romance of the Three Kingdoms was and you forgot what the third novel was. And I'll be like, that's true. But only if you email us at these color pages <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> last we got a website thesecolorpages.com where you can see all sorts of fun things we got author collabs we got other guest show appearances we got our cute bios right it's like it's, it's like a moment it's a moment you know? yeah it's like a moment mm-hmm. and you know if you if you if there was a moment during this episode <laughs> that you just really enjoyed it just you know brought you some love some delight some like pleasure whatever whatever like you know if you want to leave us some love mm. wherever you listen to this podcast could it be apple podcast or not i don't know like just like <laughs> show us some love maybe show like leave a little comment moment like give us a little a couple stars moment also please do share with people that you know yes. love to also like analyze books which is like hear two friends kicking over the internet <laughs> on a bi-weekly basis um and talking about a health exchange of power um so like so yes but yes absolutely help us to you know expand this community because you know it, it helps to get our name out there and you know to kind of share this among more people um yes. and i guess before next time you know, we get into part two Akko, are there any other things we should leave our listeners with before we head out no Just remember to stay Stay colorful. colorful.